Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome in to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown, joined by our fearless leader, Horns 24-7's managing editor, the one and only Taylor Estes. Taylor, how are you doing? Oh, Chip, I'm doing just fine. How about you? Well, what a week. What a week. I mean, you uh, you have the pandemic. We've been in the pandemic for 13 years now. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, we have the George Floyd uh, murder and all the reaction to that. And obviously, that has been a huge story in the world of college athletics and Texas. Mm-hmm. especially. Um, so we will, we will get into that. In fact, our guest this week on the flagship podcast, where we always try to keep you on the cutting edge with great guests and great insight. We call this the, the Longhorns Insider Podcast. And it's because we bring you great insider information. Exactly. Um, but Leonard Moore, Vice President for Diversity and Engagement a uh, huge sports fan as well, but um, has written books about police brutality in New Orleans um, from World War II to Hurricane Katrina and just does an amazing job as a professor at the University of Texas. Will join us to talk about all the conversations he's having. Uh, he's kind of one of those trusted allies of a lot of student athletes at Texas, and we appreciate him taking some time to talk to us. Um, and Taylor, we hope that uh, if if people are enjoying the flagship podcast, that they'll head over to iTunes and and you know give us a little sugar, a little sugar. Yeah, absolutely, we've had some recent reviews. We wanted to give a few shout outs today um, before we get to the show, but uh, we had a review from our guy Chris Bennett. Chris is a, an avid mm-hmm. Texas fan. He's always supporting us, but he said um, give us a five star rating, which is what we want everybody to give us right now. Uh, he said, great podcast, Chip and Taylor. Keep up the great work on radio, podcast, and horns 24-7. So thank you, Chris, for that. CB, yes. thank you for being and a valued member at horns 24-7. Yes, he's the best. Um, and then we got a uh, another five-star review from Cole Kilpack. And he said, hook them for this pod. I love this podcast. I'm a UT alum living in Southern California and I'm always trying to get my hands on great Texas content. This is one of the best around. So really appreciate some of the recent comments. Uh, we have about 443 ratings right now. So it'd uh, be great if we can bump that up a little bit. But uh, we really appreciate those who are going in over to iTunes. Check out the flagship podcast and the Horns 24-7 team of podcasts between ours and Longhorn Blitz and the state of recruiting um, you will not find a better podcast network than what we have. So definitely go check it out. Rate us five stars and uh, give us a little review while you're there. Our bosses will really, really appreciate it. Well, we know that uh, there are other Texas team sites, but we, we feel like we always need to be one of your two mm-hmm. uh, because 
look, the expertise on this staff, the connections, the sources, Bobby Burton, Taylor, myself, Jeff Howe, Mike Roach, um, Nick Harris, we've got the connections and um, we may not break every story, but we're going to have the best insight into that story once it breaks. And if we break it, you're going to have the best insight as it breaks. So, um, you know, and we're just all around fun, swell folks. Yeah. So we appreciate your company. Love you hanging out with us. Yes, absolutely. All right. So Taylor, um, you mentioned the, the tumultuous weekend, all the protests across the country. And obviously that became a dominant topic of discussion for Tom Herman and his team, as we learned when he went on Colin Cowherd on Monday and said that he had a three hour team meeting on Zoom and guys were just talking, getting, getting things off their chest. And Tom Herman uh, telling his players, listen, um, I, I got your front, not your back. I'll go through a wall for you all and I will blast a hole so big everyone can walk through. Hopefully he blasts that hole more successfully than he did swinging that hammer at that blocker <laughs> uh, in the south end of DKR. Just kidding, Tom. Just kidding. Oh, that's me. <laughs> but but I, I was really impressed with with what Tom Herman said in terms of telling his student athletes to express themselves, use your use your platforms, your social media post away. And and look, this is an interesting time for football coaches. Tom weighed in on this, Taylor, on Friday. Right. Uh, some other coaches like Lincoln Riley, I think, weighed in on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Dabo Swinney didn't even weigh in until Monday. Right. And I find that incredible for those who've been following the student athlete reaction um, to the, the George Floyd killing and the aftermath. Uh, probably saw the former Boise State football player who said, if you're a white football coach, a white college football coach, and you're not speaking up on behalf of your players for or expressing outrage over uh, the death of George Floyd, and um, you shouldn't be a college football coach. And then Brian Harson immediately, um, you know, went to, uh, the social media platforms and and started speaking out, but it's an interesting time um, right now because when you talk about your teams being seventy to eighty percent um, black, African American, um, and you know obviously the majority of the football coaches are white, you you better be listening to your team and and making sure that their message gets out. Dabo Swinney said it's okay not to you know, have, sometimes it's more important to listen. Right. And, and some people are more motivated than others. This week I've said at the very least, we need to press our city managers, our mayors, our, our city councils, police chiefs, police unions to do an audit of the, you know, body cam uh, intelligence from each officer and those who show tendencies for excessive force reassign them off the streets. I mean, let's start there because as my 12 year old daughter pointed out this, this week, all of this started with the actions of one man. Yeah. One man. And he has 16 complaints at least against him in the Minneapolis, um, you know, police department. Maybe there was something in there 
that showed he had a tendency for excessive force and he should not have been on the streets to begin with. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure that that doesn't happen again. And in, right. in my opinion, but Taylor, um, I thought Tom Herman responded really well this week. I did too. Um, you know, I actually watched the interview live on, um, FS one and, um, Colin Cowherd actually was tearing up. And I don't know what many people, they may have heard the audio of it, may not have seen the actual video of it. But after Tom finished his, his you know, kind of explanation of how it is to be a college coach right now and, and um, you know, his emotion about making sure that his players know that he has their back and their front. And, you know, Cowherd was like visibly shaken up. You could see the tears in his eyes. He even said right after, he's like, okay, we'll go to a break. And then the camera stayed on him. He's like, oh, we'll go to joy for, um, you know, so it it, like, I think it caught Colin off guard a little bit because of how eloquently I thought that Tom expressed himself. And I think right now, you know, Chip, it, how you'd said, like, this is the action of one man, but it's, it's the actions that have continued for years and years and years and years. And, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think you have to be, you have to step up and you have to make a comment if you're a college coach, but you shouldn't be doing it unless you're doing it for the right reason. This is not a recruiting ploy. This is not just to join the masses. This needs to be real because words are only so much at this point. And we all can, you know, sympathize and say, oh, we, we feel for you and all of that. But at this, you know, it's, it's gone on for too long. It's time for action. And, um, and I, but I do think it was a good, you know, a message that Tom Herman put out. Well, we'll continue that conversation with Dr. Leonard Moore, Vice President for Diversity and Engagement at the University of Texas coming up. But Taylor, speaking of action, uh, the Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby and the Big 12, well, really, the presidents and chancellors last week approved the new guidelines, the new coronavirus guidelines that were set that did expire um, on May 31st. And um, Bob Bowlesby, saying he feels more bullish about a college football season starting on time than he did 30 days ago. Right. And, and interestingly enough, the big 12 said that uh, football student athletes could come back to campus for voluntary workouts. We talked about this a little bit last week, right. Um, starting June 15th and at OU Oklahoma, not uh, starting those voluntary workouts for football until July 1st. And remember July 15th is when Bob Bowlesby and just about everybody in college athletics feels like football needs to be getting into that two-week conditioning period Mm -hmm. to prepare for a month-long fall camp at the beginning of August so I mean it's it's June yeah it just feels like we're we're lost in time you know right days the days passed so slowly in (laughs) march and april that it felt like there were 374 days in each of those months and now it's freaking june like we're a month away from big 12 football media days right and then it's football season so yeah no i mean i think that's this is a big um deal for especially the big 12 because if you recall back, I can't remember, speaking of, we don't know what day or time it is, but I think it was early May. I think it may have been April. I don't know. But Bob Bowlesby came out, you know, he made headlines because he was doing an interview and 
he didn't think at that point that the season, you know, it may not be starting on time. And he mentioned how the Texas OU game, and he said, you know, can you think of a, a better petri dish of spreading disease than the State Fair of Texas? And so the fact that, you know, I think that was within, I think, a month, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, with that being about a month ago and then him now changing his tune so much, you know, hopefully as, um, you know, they continue to have a, a downturn in the overall percentage of cases and deaths and everything, hopefully that continues. But this is a good sign at this point, Chip. Well, and Bowlesby said, we're going to have to coexist with this thing probably for 24 months mm-hmm. uh, until vaccines are readily available. But bottom line is we're going to have to wear a mask. Yeah. And we don't know how many fans are going to be allowed into the games. Is it 25%, 50% more? Um, Chris Del Conte trying to be very, very tight-lipped and about speculating and you know, throwing out all the, the uh, models or contingency plans, if you will. Everyone wants to know, okay, well, if it's only 50% capacity, who gets the tickets? And right. we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Um, Chris Del Conte trying to, um, you know, not have to answer those questions until he absolutely has to. Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of towing the the line right now, but it will definitely be interesting to see because, you know, in the state of Texas, they had, um, Governor Abbott had opened up, you know, professional sports outdoor arenas that can be filled to 25% capacity. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people saw that news and then plus with, you know, people thinking that football season is going to start on time. I think a lot of people are thinking, oh, so we're all going to be 25% capacity. The situation's still fluid, you know, and so sure. definitely have to wait and see. Um, but, you know, Chip, there was uh, some good news uh, last week, actually, from the Big 12 Conference when uh, Andrew Jones, Texas uh, uh, guard who has been um, battling leukemia, has been an inspiration for so many people. He was named the 2020 Big 12 Sportsperson of the Year. And uh, that was really cool. You know, I think I can't think of a better person who deserves it than he is. You know, it was funny. I was joking with a friend because I contributed to his GoFundMe and I think it got me into the Longhorn Foundation somehow <laughs> for like a year. But and anyway, you know, um, it, it he is the kind of guy that everybody cheers for. And to to see him, um, much like Lance Armstrong, from the standpoint of he was he started his cancer treatment in Austin and said, I am all about getting back on the basketball court. And he did not like the doctor's responses and he packed up and went to MD Anderson in Houston. I mean, he's a Dallas kid. Right. And the easy path would have been to stay in Austin, be near campus, near his support network. And he said, nope. And I would say, having watched my mom um, battle pancreatic cancer, unfortunately, unsuccessfully, uh, I would recommend everybody go to MD Anderson because it is the one of the premier cancer centers in the world. And it's right here in the great state of Texas. So, uh, but anyway, Andrew Jones battles leukemia comes back and everybody's like, Oh, isn't that sweet? He's on the bench. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden he's a huge factor. He he was the leading scorer in the five game winning streak that Texas basketball had that basically saved Shaka smarts job and put Texas back in contention for the NCAA tournament. And he's a big part of the reason 
that there will be all-time high expectations, whatever those are, for Shaka Smart and Texas basketball for this upcoming season because you've got three veteran guards mm-hmm. in Matt Coleman, Courtney Ramey, and Andrew Jones. And you got to have great guards to do anything in March. And, you know, I don't – I never get my hopes up with Shaka Smart. I think he's a 20-win coach and a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 finisher and the guy hasn't won a NCAA tournament basketball game since 2013, but I do like this team. And then you throw in Greg Brown and a high flyer. Uh, You know, I think he's reminds you a little bit of Jackson Hayes. We'll see if he can be that efficient, but uh, really, really exciting news for Andrew Jones and well, well well-deserved. Yes, absolutely. And, and I agree with you about the MD Anderson Center. You know, my, my husband had cancer and it was a really rare form of cancer when he was in college. It was actually very common in middle-aged women. So he was admitted into um, getting treatment at MD Anderson because of how rare, I mean, he's like in a textbook and everything. And, you know, over the years we've had to go back for his cancer treatment, or not treatment, I'm sorry, for his checkups. Checkups. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, heart-wrenching going through the facilities there it really is um but it's amazing what they do and you know i think andrew jones made absolutely the right decision you don't do what's convenient when it comes to your life you do what is best and what's going to possibly save it and he did that and you know it's it's just been amazing to watch him and you're right like his that last you know that five game winning streak that they went on he really i mean who was how many of their starters from the beginning of the year were actually able to play Right. I mean, you had, had so Jay, many injuries. You had Jace Febris on the bench, Jericho Sims on the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it uh it was it was tough. And it also opened the door for the lunch pail brigade, you know, um Kai Jones and Royce Ham and Brock Cunningham. And those guys just brought so much energy. So if Shaka can figure out how to use that depth and use that energy coming in off the bench for those guys uh, who I just mentioned, then he's got a great mix of, you know, half court and full court and he can mix up speeds and tempos and, and hopefully they finally have chemistry and confidence. Right. Because for so long, it's just looked like a fire drill at the end of the shot clock. And it just drives me bananas. Um, But it's not about me, Taylor. No, it's not. (laughs) about us it's about this flagship podcast and and uh and all these great guests we keep bringing in yeah well speaking of great guests let's bring in our guest this week dr leonard moore who is the university of texas vice president for diversity and engagement so let's hear from dr moore joined now by dr leonard moore vice president for diversity and engagement at the university of texas um Dr. Moore, really appreciate you taking some time with us today. Um, obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult time right now um, yeah. in, in this country, and in particular for a lot of the student-athletes at the University of Texas who are sounding off on their yeah. social media. I know you're very close to a lot of the student-athletes at Texas, uh-huh. and you've written books on everything from you know, police brutality <laughs> in New Orleans, World War II to Hurricane Katrina. You have um, 
you know, great perspective because let's be honest, a lot of the fan base at Texas uh, is affluent, white, and we need to make sure that we are, you know, getting the message and trying to figure out how we can actually get some solutions, yeah. not just problems to the aftermath of the, the George Floyd murder in Minneapolis. Yeah. So without, without more, we appreciate you taking some time today uh, to talk to us. Um, you know, just give us your thoughts on where things are right now. Well, I don't know, man. It's always interesting whenever you see the intersection of race, sports, and politics. You know, you think about the OJ trial, the Michael Vick trial, you know, this stuff, man, it, it drives ratings and it brings everybody to the table. And Chip, I think that shows the power of sport in America. And I think one of the biggest disconnects is that a lot of the student athletes nationally feel that the white fan base, the white boosters, the white subscribers, the horns 24 seven, only see them as an athlete. They don't see them as a complete person. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think we're seeing that. Um, I know uh, Andrew Jones, the basketball player at Texas, was interacting with fans and basically said that uh, today uh, on social media. We're recording on Monday with Dr. Leonard Moore, a vice president for diversity and engagement at the University of Texas. But let's get into that a little bit more because you know, this is, I think, I think you're right. I mean, I think that a lot of the uh, fan base does see these, you know, African-American student athletes as, as, as their favorite player on their favorite team and not a, a kid who's grown up with all kinds of different, right. um, you know, situations and, and feelings that they're working through right now. Absolutely. And let me dispel one myth. There is this myth floating around that all the black kids who play power five college football or basketball are inner city kids. No, these are suburban kids. I mean, largely, I'm not saying they're wealthy, but they are, as the inner city has changed, these kids are more suburban than, than inner city. And I think, I think a lot of white fans have a perspective because on some campuses, high profile athletes are given certain privileges. But what those student athletes will tell you, when I take the jersey off or when my eligibility is up, I don't have that same clout anymore. One thing I tell a lot of student athletes nationally is when you meet a booster, don't let that booster talk about your, your performance. Ask the booster, what do you do for a living? Can you help me get an internship? I'm graduating in the spring. Can you help me find a full-time job? And what they'll say, Chip, is that the conversation shifts you know, that they can only talk about basketball or football, the sport, but when they talk about real stuff, when it comes to life, things shift. And that's why there's a lot of frustration throughout the country. I was talking to a group of, of former black athletes at Cal, to a person, they said they cannot get a job when they, when they graduated from UC Berkeley. That, wow. that, that the alumni network didn't work for them because they were just seen again, just, just as athletes. Mm -hmm. Well, when we look at this, situation this was um particularly heinous and egregious this murder of george floyd because we all sat and watched for nine minutes uh with people yelling at the police officer you're killing this man and with george floyd gasping and pleading you're you're you know i can't breathe and and then the aftermath and i mean i said on my sports talk radio show this morning this you know we've got to make a call to the 
the city managers, the mayors, the city councils, the police chiefs to do an inventory of their police force. Um, because if you talk privately, I always say the players always know what's going on. The locker room always knows. They know who's going to come through and who's not going to come through. Just like in a police force, there's the officers know who they want to ride into a difficult situation with in their, in their police car and who they don't want to ride with. And look, I know their police unions, everything like that. But Dr. Moore, you've written a book about new Orleans police brutality, the history of it from world war two to hurricane Katrina. Am I being naive here? But I mean, we've got to get the insidious seeds out. You're being right. I mean, there's a culture that transcends black and white and that's blue. Because even some black officers will tell you, yeah, Leonard, I hear what you're saying, but my white partner, he has, he's the one that's gonna keep me alive at night, you know, when we roll up on somebody. So man, the culture is just, but, but here's my frustration. The good ones with their silence allow an entire department or an entire profession to get tarnished. Three people watch that guy, you know, put, put the knee on, 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 on Floyd's neck. Now, I told my wife, if somebody, if I'm in Westlake, and somebody sees me with my knee on the neck of a dog and the dog dies, I will be in jail before nightfall. And so, but, but a lot of African-Americans, we aren't, we, we're angry, but we're not surprised and shocked at it because we've dealt with it for so long. And I'll say this, I tell my white friends this, it's, it doesn't matter how much money you make or how you are dressed. I remind people, Martin Luther King was killed. He had a suit on, you know, so this idea of, how you look, we can't get caught up in that. And, and let me say this, Chip, as it relates to college athletics. When I first started, uh, I got the UT in 2007, and I, and I had a role with admissions in 2012, 2013. And I would go to a lot of the black high schools and Latino high schools across the state trying to recruit. I remember walking into a, sub, a, pretty, a majority black suburban high school in Houston. And when I walked in the door, I told Lady Ashram UT, she said, the football coach's office is that way. She thought I was there just to recruit athletes because she said nobody from UT had ever come inside those doors just to recruit a student. <laughs> and so in the black community, Chip, there is this debate that goes on, you know, is college athletics good for black people? You know what I'm saying? A lot of black folks see it as exploitive, but I understand my white friends, they don't even understand how we can come to that, how we can even think that it's exploitive. Well, and that's, that leads me to this question of the relationship because it seemed like there was a, almost a delay in the reaction in the, in the college football world to the George Floyd murder. Yes. There was initial, Oh my gosh, did you see that? Then there was like a day or two lapse. And then it seemed like everyone woke up and, and suddenly every college football coach was weighing in. I mean, Boise State had a former player who said, if you're not speaking out about this as a white football coach, mm -hmm. a white you know, college football coach, you don't deserve to be coaching in college football. Wow. Uh -huh. And Brian Harson immediately stepped <laughs> forward and said, hey, this is outrageous. And, uh -huh. and then, you know, Nick Saban, Tom Herman, everybody's weighed in on this. I mean, can, is there a disconnect happening here, Dr. Chip, Moore? Chip, here's the issue. Many athletic directors, I believe, and many coaches are afraid just to state the obvious. You won't lose any fans. 
no fan is going to, you know, give up their season tickets because Nick Saban makes a political statement. They won't do it at Clemson, won't do it at Texas. But there is this fear that I can't ruffle these feathers. All my white friends see it, but people are just afraid to call it out. And let me, let me say something about these coaches making statements. A lot of this is just for recruiting advantage, Chip. Let's just be honest. You know, um, you know if, 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 if our rival does it, then we have to one-up that person. So I don't know how sincere many of these coaches are. I, my work with athletic directors across the country, trip, Chip, they want, they've always wanted to avoid using the word black. You know, we don't want to offend the white athletes. I said, understand. What is the source of your labor? What, you know, what sports drive revenue? So I'm, I don't talk about it, Chip, from a social justice perspective, although we should. It's just a good business move. You know what I'm saying? If you look at all these power, if, if you take all the power five schools, on average, the black male population collectively at all five of those schools is about three to 4%. But if you look at football and basketball, football is going to be in the high 70s or 80s and basketball in the 80s. So you see the disconnect there. Black athletes overrepresented in athletics, but underrepresented in the classroom. And that and that drives some of the frustration, Chip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in terms of where we go from here mm -hmm. um, and, you know, separating word salad. Yes. And yes. window dressing. And I need to sound concerned here and putting, you know, rubber to the road and trying to bring about change. Where, 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 where can we go from here? I mean, outside of calling on city leaders to really, hey, you got to do an inventory of your police force and you've got to root out those bad seeds because there's a pretty good chance the officers in that department who are trying to do good work know who the bad seeds are. I get police unions, all that, and they're protected and everybody's, you know, untouchable. And it, it can't be that way anymore. I mean, we people have to stand up. White people, white leaders, black leaders. Everybody needs to stand up together right now and do their best because this it's it's been happening way too often. We can go through one instance after another for the last, I mean, decades. But this was especially egregious. This was a situation where this is a call to arms for this country. It, this can't be lost, Dr. Moore. My fear is a month from now, we haven't, you know, put right. some hard, heavy lifting into to fixing this issue. I've always felt that people in athletics, they have a platform. You know what I mean? And, and my challenge to athletic directors and coaches because here's what I tell coaches. If you win, it doesn't matter how political you are. If you lose, it doesn't matter how political, because they're going to fire you. You know what I mean? And so I need athletic directors and coaches to stand up, quit being, quit trying to be politically neutral. And it's just about what are your own personal values? You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if I have a large Twitter following, it can't just be to rile up the fan base all the time. And so that sort of has been my challenge to the the collegiate athletic community, I was, I was on a phone call with an AD, Conference USA AD the other day, and he said, Dr. Moore, what should I do? I said, get all your black student athletes together, don't allow the coaches in, and you sit down, you just let the student athletes talk. Just let them talk about their experiences in their communities and their experiences on campus. And I guarantee it will be sort of an enlightening uh, conversation. That has been what? sort of my charge. Yeah, and, and obviously, 
you know, what, what has struck you, Dr. Moore, in watching the reaction to this, especially as it pertains to, let's, let's start with the student athletes at Texas, where you yeah. are. Um, you know, what struck you about the reaction to this? Um, I have a lot of private conversations with a lot of them. What struck me is how vocal they are being now. You know, I think, they, I think student athletes across the country are realizing that they have a voice. You know, I think 10, 15 years ago, coaches could threaten them, but I think these, these guys are realizing, no, you know, you know we're the ones, we, we are the product. And I, and, and I am proud that coaches aren't trying to silence that voice. I think that is very critical for a kid's uh, development. But I'll say secondly, you know, um, Texas does a, does a good job. I told people if, if my kid ever played at that level, Texas is probably the best place in terms of giving the student athlete a holistic experience. Here is what we need, Chip. We need every booster, every fan, every Horns 24-7 subscriber. When they see a UT athlete, what are you doing this summer? Do you have an internship? What are your plans when this is over? What do you like to do outside of sport? And that's not really taking place anywhere in the country. And I, you know, we got this motto, you know, what, char what starts here changes the world. I think we can really change the conversation but I need everybody who wants to cheer burn orange and all that. Let's take the conversation beyond, oh man, that game against Oklahoma was great, wasn't it? Um, how are you feeling about the Kansas game? No, let's have real conversations. Because I really believe, and not just the young men at Texas, but I believe the young men and women everywhere, they need their fans to see them as complete people. Because here, I'll say this, Chip, one of the things we teach student athletes, you know, we do our big summit every year, is that when a kid's eligibility is up, there, there, there's something that's called identity foreclosure. Like you foreclose it on a house. If I have been the man since I was seven or eight, and I've been known as this great ball player, and now Chip at 22, it's over? My identity is completely gone. And that's why you see a lot of the self-medicating behaviors from former athletes. Because they were treated like royalty in some regards from high school all the way up. And now at 21, when that last game in December is over, or that bowl game is over, they have no value to the program and no value to the institution. That's why at Texas, we try to do a lot of work out of my office just with former student athletes. I see them in Westlake. I see them training people. I see them working out with folks. And they know when they see me, Chip, they know what questions come. Here's a funny story. The former wide receiver at Texas played under Mac Brown. Uh, my son was playing basketball at the Westlake uh, Recreation Center, something like that. And I know I saw the guy. He saw me. He, he went out, out the back door, and he, he told somebody, yeah, man, I saw Doc, but I, I didn't have time for that ish today, you know, because <laughs> but that is oh. what we did. And here's what I tell the young, there's a young man named Jeremy Hills. He works out a lot of guys, Earl Thomas and them. He told somebody back in January at an event, he said, I used to hate Dr. Moore. He said, because he used to always be on me about school and life outside of football. He said, but now I love him. And so here's what I tell the guys. I don't need you to like me at 19. I want you to respect me at 25. What um, are you being called in to, to talk to coaches, to, you know, to Crystal Conte? What, what are so, you doing? One thing, Chip, those that want it, you know, you know, Coaches crown the country, ADs will call, but you got to want it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But what I try to tell them, it's easier, Chip, to have these conversations when there's no crisis. 
but we want to be very reactionary. And what I tell people is that you're having the conversations every day at the water cooler, at church. So why not bring it to, but there is just this fear in America to talk about race. Quick story. I was invited out to a Lakeway to speak to a group of, like a businessman's club, like a hundred white guys there and me. All right. And um, even before, as they were introducing me, seven people got up and walked out. <laughs> I was like, man, this is cool. But I don't mind that. And so, and I told my friend, I said, man, listen, I'm not going to say anything about race. I talked for 30 minutes. We're talking about globalization and getting students international experience. Chip, I'll never forget this. And, 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 and I'm, I don't get offended. I finished the presentation and the guy said, well, Dr. Moore, can we talk about Black Lives Matter? And I said, well, I didn't talk about that, but I can tell that's what you want to talk about, so go ahead. And here's what he says. He says, if I think if you all would just obey the police, you wouldn't get shot. Chip, let me tell you why I appreciate him, because that's his perspective. And he is being honest. And I, one thing I like about being in Texas, people will be honest with you, you know, but here's what I like about the honesty. Now we can have a real conversation. You know, when you come at me like that, we can have a real conversation. And, I, and honestly, man, some of the people I disagree with the most politically, we have some of the best conversations. And I think we have to give space for people to give their opinion, even when we don't like it. Yeah, I'm just, um, as, as, you know, a person who has a, a little bit of a voice mm -hmm. in Austin, I just feel like it's, it's time. And, and I've been, it seems like I've been calling out the leadership here the last several months because of COVID and where's the leadership going to come from in terms of how we handle that. And yeah. now you throw the, the George Floyd uh, murder on top of that. And especially, you know, obviously city leaders have got to, again, they've got to make sure that the, the heinous insidious acts of a few mm -hmm. are not burning down this country Absolutely. Um, and the conversation, as you said, needs to happen um, across every, you know, every spectrum here. But when I look at uh, the student athletes and the coaches and the athletic director, the, the hierarchy right there at the university level, what is it that that you hope to sort of shape the conversation? um for for student athletes because like you said don't let that booster just ask you about your performance ask them what they do and how they got started in the business and why they're passionate about what they do you know how do you how how do we need to shape the conversation right now first thing i'll say is the student athletes got to have some agency you know and i've said this before i think the university of texas has the best support structure for black student athletes if they want it you know what I'm saying? So they got to come to the table wanting stuff, you know. Um, but for me, man, it's, tr it's getting us not to be so uncomfortable to talk about race. Now, I understand as a white guy or a white woman, you have to be careful because if you say the wrong word, word, you'll be canceled real quick. So, so I understand that. So for me, what I've tried to do is give people, uh, 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 in many ways, the tools, give them, give them the space and the platform to have those open and honest conversations. But the biggest thing, uh, white administrators can do is just listen. And I'll, I'll give you an example, Chip. You know, as men, we like to fix stuff, right? <laughs> but sometimes my wife tells me, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. 
And so that white AD from Conference USA said, he said, Leonard, as a white man, I'm wired to be able to fix everything. But since I can't fix racism, I, leave, I stay away from it and I, just, and I just act like I don't see it because it's in me to try to fix stuff. So it's just, it's just listening to people. Um, after the Trump election, we live in Round Rock and we live in a cul-de-sac and Sean Adams would, would like that. Would like that. After right. the Trump, we have some cool neighbors, but after the Trump election, we invited five white couples to our house just to talk. And Chip, it was enlightening because a lot of us thinking, well, you vote for Trump, you must be a racist. You vote for Trump, you must not like Mexicans. You vote for Trump, you must. You no, know, one said, well, Dr. Moore, I, you know, Leonard, I voted for Trump because I think he will best represent biblical principles. Somebody else said, I think he'll be good. I'm a small business owner. So man, when we can sit down and have conversations, Chip, you understand people's perspective. You don't have to agree with it, but you understand. What um, you, you, you are in and around the student athletes. Yeah. We're talking to the fan base here. Um, any examples of things, you know, it doesn't even have to be relating to the George Floyd situation, yeah. just, you know, things you're proud of that you've seen. Um, you know, I was re reading about Selvin Young, and I remember Selvin coming in as an at-risk student athlete, and now he's owning businesses, food trucks, and yeah. he's got this, you know, farm-to-neighborhood uh, movement that he's got going, moving produce down in the Houston area. And I'm so proud of Selvin for, you know, becoming this business leader, um, you know, on top of, like, like you said, everyone's going to remember him for being a part of that national championship team in 05, but now this guy's, he owns businesses in Houston and is just knocking it out of the park. Just, you know, little things that you've noticed along the way, maybe singling out a, a student athlete or two. Let, let, me, let me give you one from this past semester. Jordan Whittington, and I hope he won't get mad at me for saying this. He came to my office one day. Uh, he was dressed up. I said, man, where you coming from? <laughs> he said, Dr. Moore, I just had an interview with Goldman Sachs. That's Jordan Whittington, man. You know what I'm saying four or five star kid from Quero, Texas or something like that. Yep. So it's the small stuff, you know what I'm saying? And for a kid like him, you know, kind of rural Texas to really step outside, you know, his, his comfort zone and do that. Oh man, we were super duper, we were super duper excited about that. And I think the more we can get these guys to understand they are more than just athletes, you know what I mean? Uh, because here, here's the, here, here, here's the, here's the, racial thing we have to deal with. The white kids nationally who play ball know how to leverage a power five athletic experience for the rest of their life. All right? <laughs> you know, they'll leave, go sell orthopedics, you know, uh, commercial real estate. But with a lot of the black kids, man, it's like we chased this dream chip for a long time. You know, you know the name Kwame Cavill sound familiar to you? Oh, yeah. Kwame. He came back and got his degree, what, 2010, 2011? He was in my class. He said, Dr. Moore, I was at home for 10 years on my couch in a state of depression. And he comes from a very educated family, but he said the athletic identity was so strong that when some, if somebody told him, man, think about an internship or what you're gonna do when football is over, he thought he was going NFL all the way. So. The white kids know how to leverage it. And we just have to make sure that though that, 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 that we're teaching the black kids how to leverage it too. Because you should be able to leverage playing at UT or AM or or LSU into a lifelong career. But that's what we gotta work on. 
what uh, what are you seeing? I know Tom Herman for junior days brings in CEOs connected to Texas uh, to talk to the you know the kids about hey we went to Texas we own these companies you know Robert Rowling owns Omni Hotels and Gold's Gym uh, and and trying to make those connections uh, are those I know that that was something new and different that Tom Herman. Um, you know, has been trying to do is that stuff. What, what do you see that's making a difference or some, some things that are helping now? I mean, Kevin Washington's doing a great job. I think he's over player development, young guy, great job. But here's what I tell coaches. You can bring everybody and a mama to come talk to the kids, but are you giving the kids the time in the summer to get away for a little bit and have an experience or are they in the gym? from June 1 all the way to when the season starts. So that is, I mean, we've been trying to get uh, a broad, we've been trying to get coaches to understand, and this is on a national level, you gotta give kids study abroad opportunities. You gotta let them go somewhere. And because you gotta give them experiences, Chip, where they are around regular students, where they just don't travel in a pack. There was a former swimmer I had at UT. Uh, uh, she was from London. Uh, I guess I can't call her African-American, but she was black from London. And I remember seeing her three months after she graduated. She's still in Austin. I said, how are you doing? She said, Dr. Moore, I'm struggling because I'm used to spending my whole life with 25 other girls. And so what happens if I'm just hanging out with my teammates all the time, I, don't, I never get a chance to interact with regular people. I don't know what the issues are. And again, when my eligibility is up, Chip, I am completely lost. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. What uh, what else, Doctor Moore? I love talking to you because you just let me say this, man. So you know, man, I I I I eat, sleep, and drink this stuff. People think I'm an angry black man. No, I live in Round Rock. My kids play the piano. <laughs> Come on, man. You know, we don't have a dog though. I'll say that. But um, here are the things I noticed. You remember who, who was in national championship this year? LSU and Clemson, right? Yes, sir. Check out these optics, and you know, I just study this stuff, Chip. The teams, in terms of scholarship players, 85 to 90% black, right? right? Right. Louisiana, South Carolina, I believe, has the highest uh, population of black residents in the other states in the country. When Trump walked in the stadium, did you hear the people go crazy? <laughs> you, you look, and I said, this is crazy. We are all coming together to watch all these black kids play, right? And then Trump comes in, and man, it, 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 and, and the stadium just went crazy. So that just shows you, man, how, you know, this connection between race, sports, and politics are, is crazy. Because those same fans at Clemson or LSU want those coaches to go into those inner cities, you know, those poor neighborhoods, and get those black kids, right? But when it comes to how we vote, we actually may vote in ways um, that are in, are in direct conflict with some of the public policy things those athletes need. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, uh, it's always a pleasure to, you, uh, to have conversation with you, Dr. Moore, and yeah. we need to do this more, more often. I appreciate um, it, man. And let me say this, man, Chip, I've been here 13 years, man. And I don't think you realize just how woven into the culture you are in Austin. Every morning when I get into my car and I make that ride from Round Rock all the way downtown to UT, my I, I, 1300 i'm like man let me see 
first it was chipping Sean, now it's chipping Harge, man. And and I, you know, I think you I, you had a show on some time ago talking about listen like Ernie Harwell growing up. Yeah, I used to listen to we we could get them in Cleveland, and you know the Indians suck. So I I was right. a Tigers fan, Lou <laughs> Whitaker, and you know and uh, right. Alan Trammell, right? <laughs> oh yeah, and, the you Roar know, of '84. And, it's just that voice Harwell had, you knew it was Detroit. And so for you, man, it's the voice. It just, your voice, man, is just synonymous with Austin. With, with Austin. And man, wow. I appreciate I've, everything you do. Uh, I appreciate you holding, you know, our institutions accountable. We need more of that. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. And uh, I, I do, I love the conversation. Thank I you, mean, yeah. um, and you're doing, you're doing great work. Um, I know the kids, they, they turn to you, they look to you. and You've always got uh, you've always got their best interests at heart, and that's the mission. And I I always say as a as a journalist, when I go investigative mode, it's when I feel like people have lost sight of the mission when that's they're right. putting their own interests in front of the mission, or it's about them instead of the mission. That's, that's right. when I go in and really try to to root it out because we got to be about the mission here. That's right. I mean, that's right. That's especially right. That's when we're talking about uh, student athletes, you know, the college experience and anything else, Dr. Moore, that you think is important right now. Um, let, me, let me say this. Let me say this for, for your white listeners. And some of them get offended just by me saying the word white. If I got a lot of calls from my white friends today, you, you okay? <laughs> How you doing? You know, text messages, you know, one, when black people, when we tell you how we feel, don't tell us that's not the case. And I'll give one example. I have had horrible experiences with the police. Two most recently, one outside of Dallas where a cop made me get out of the car. To, he said he was going to search the car for drugs and weapons. All right. He asked me where I was going. I said, I'm going to Clarksville, Texas in the morning. Uh, he said, that's four hours away. I said, I'm staying at a hotel. He said, can you prove to me you're staying at a hotel up here? Had to go through my phone and show it to him. Now I'm a vice president at UT, all right? Another time, Chip, me and my family were driving back from the Grand Canyon. We get inside Texas. The officer pulls me over. And he asked me about 15 questions. Where did I work? What classes I taught? Where did my wife work? Uh, what kind of neighborhood we live in? What kind of cars we drive? Then he made me get out of the car and sit in the front seat of his car for 30 minutes with two German shepherds in the back of the car. So when we tell you that these are our experiences, you got to don't invalidate them. Now, I got a lot of white friends who have never had any kind of interaction with the police. <laughs> so in their mind, oh, that can't be true because that's not the police off. But every black male I know and female has unfortunately had probably had an incident with the police. And so we just got to learn how to listen to each other. When my neighbor told me he voted for Trump because he felt that all the Blacks, Latinos, women, and in his work, gays, we're going to take his job. <laughs> that sounded foolish to me. But guess what, Chip? I let him talk for about 20 minutes, and we had a very, very productive conversation. Although I disagreed with him, it was still a, uh, uh, a productive conversation. Well, Dr. Moore, thank goodness we have people like you uh, in our community. Now you, know uh, I'm, now, you know I'm a Buckeye transplant, right? I'm looking at that. Oh, I know. This is tough. <laughs> This is tough. You see this? See that University of Michigan print right back there? That's right. So I know. I know I'm in the midst of uh, uh, one of the rare, smart, talented Buckeyes. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. Rare. That's right. That's right. But uh, no, really appreciate it. You're doing 
doing great work and thank you, man. Uh, and and helping to shape the conversation. Are, thank are you, you gonna, so much. You gonna make that trip to Baton Rouge? Now you know Baton Rouge is my old stomping ground. They oh, they yeah. should have a statue built in me in LSU by now. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, LSU, baby. That's September 12th is my birthday. I'm hoping to spend it in Baton Rouge, you know? Right. right. Hey, um, your Longhorns going to be ready? Uh, they better be. This is the year. I think the LSU season was a fluke last year. I don't think your boy can – I don't think the coach can do this two, two, two years in a row. That's just – Okay, me. well, let's, let's have a quick little football conversation because I know you love sports. Yes. Uh -huh. Let's talk Texas and yes. LSU. I think Tom Herman should have let go of Tim Beck after the 10 win season, like Orgeron did uh -huh. and let it, you know, bring it in Joe Brady after a 10 win season. And then uh -huh. boom, uh -huh. they go win the national championship, Brady and Burrow. Great mix. Uh -huh. Now Tom Herman has reset the cast, yeah. but we got this pandemic. We got a, we got an off season shortened by this pandemic We're trying to get new offense and defense in, but you got the four year starter quarterback. You got nine starters back on defense. Give me your uh -huh. thoughts on these Longhorns. Here's, here's what I appreciate about Tom. He was loyal to the guys who helped him get the Texas job. You know what I'm saying? Right. So from a brother, from, from a black perspective, I appreciate that. You know, because I've seen some coaches completely dismantle their staff when they get to where they're So you got, I mean, I think that's the humanity part of him. And I, and I appreciate that. Um, here, here, here's what I tell kid coaches. Do what you do. I mean, I mean, I mean Chip, I manage 400 people at UT, a $40 million budget. But I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I'm not going to dot the I's and cross the T's. I'm a big picture guy. You know what I'm saying? I teach a thousand students in the fall semester. That's who I am. If Herman Sting is designing a great offense, Tom, do that. I took, do what you do. Because when you do it, and if it don't work, you can at least sleep at night. You feel me? All right. So um, I want to see my boy Jordan Whittington go off. I hope Casey Thompson can get a few snaps. You know, I think he's a, I think he's a, He's a, he's, a, he's a breakout player. Uh, from what I'm reading, it seems like there may be some issues on the defense from what I'm reading in terms of linebacker. I think Tom said that himself. Is that true? Right. right. He's, he's worried about the depth at linebacker. Okay. Because you had the Deli a day away, injured his foot off season, non-football. And not, not that, I mean, he was going to miss the spring. Everybody missed the spring. So, huh. um, you know, there's time for him to get back in it. But they don't have – they don't have the depth at linebacker, maybe that. Uh, and now they have Demarvin Overshawn playing yeah. linebacker. He yeah. could be a he could be a game changer. You he know, could be, be like a, he could be like that guy Clemson. Right, Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, yeah. Demarion is a great guy. I taught him. Delhi Delhi's a good guy too. It was funny. A lot of these guys, Chip. You know, they'll take my class, and you know, there's sometimes some conflict there. You know what I mean? But I told them, I'm gonna hold you accountable, just like your position coach does in that in that in that position room. When you don't when you don't know the plays or you haven't watched the film and so sometimes it can get a little bit intense but i love it so what is your prediction for the season big 12 championship game i mean if if they don't get there i think it's a disappointment i mean this is a rare window okay you have a four-year quarterback talented like sam ellinger you got nine starters back on you got 16 starters back across the board nine starters back on defense ou's Finally, going to play a high school recruited quarterback who's never <laughs> well, started a game. Maybe you don't know. You don't know what Lincoln Riley will pull out between now and August. But I know it's going to be good. You know, right, right, right. by the time they see Texas, uh -huh. they'll have found their rhythm, undoubtedly. Uh -huh. And Oklahoma State's loaded. Now I don't know what's going on. They just changed out their offensive coordinator. Sean Gleason came from Princeton. He's already gone. 
Uh-huh. They promoted the receivers coach who's never called a play in his life, but they got Spencer Sanders, Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace. Yeah. I mean, they're loaded on offense. They're going to score some points. They're going to score some points. They're going to be a spoiler. They're going to get in some people's way. So I ch- think ch- – I mean, is this, is this, in your opinion, a make-or-break year for Herman? No, I mean, yes and no. He's not coaching for his job this year. He's not. Okay. Because I think – I think Chris Del Conte has basically said that, that, look – he hasn't even had a losing season yet. People want him, you know, fired for going seven and five in the regular season last year, even though they trounced Utah in the bowl game. Should have beat LSU, my gosh. Right. It was right there. Right there. Mm-hmm. Right there. And so, so I've, I've asked you this before, Chip. It seems like the, you know, I've been here 13 years, but, you know, I'm still trying to learn the culture. It seemed like the expectations are just right. sometimes unrealistic. Un- they are. Okay. They are. And the, and the fan base is tired because – they haven't had a Big 12 championship since 09. So okay. it's been a decade of mediocrity. I mean, that's all you can say. Four lost seasons, one after the other, uh-huh. sometimes more, sometimes more losses than that. Whereas they didn't have a single four loss season in the first decade of the 2000s when gotcha. they were constantly in the mix for the national championship under Mac Brown. So fans are like, hey, we got to get back to that because. We're seeing it at OU. OU's in the playoff every year. If OU can be in the playoff, we should be in the playoff. That's the mindset. Even though Herman has just now got those, you know, three top ten recruiting classes to the point where they're juniors and seniors. Okay, okay. So these are his guys now. Uh-huh. And so the arrow should be up, and it should stay up because of the way he's been recruiting. I think he's developed talent pretty well. I think they have good quarterbacks in the pipeline. Like uh-huh. you mentioned, Casey Thompson. Yeah. Sam should have a big year this year. Casey's next. Keep an eye on Jaquindon Jackson. That's yep. my guy. He's big stage, big stage guy. Duncanville's finest, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. Chip, but- let, me, Chip let, me, let me throw this out, man. Um, uh, most UT fans don't realize that UT is a different institution academically than it was 10 years ago. I mean, this year, Chip, they had, what, 53,000 applications and they rejected 38,000 people. And so, so if you look at these football powerhouses, Auburn, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, they are pretty much at the same level academically. And I think that says something about a culture, but Texas is more is academically creeping up on UCLA and Berkeley. And I know UT fans do not want to hear this. <laughs> But I think our athletic department, I don't know, I mean, we, are, we aren't a football factory. I told somebody, we aren't, UT is not a football factory. The school's too competitive academically. You can't just get anybody in school like you can a lot of other places. And I don't think the fans realize that. Do, do they? Uh, no. Okay. No. They see themselves, you know, that we have to compete with LSU. We have to compete with Alabama. We have to compete and you're right. The academic standards um, set Texas apart. Absolutely. Now, yeah. you and I both know you can get kids in, then it's hard to keep them in. You got to oh, have absolutely. the academic, got to have the academic support to yeah, make sure that you know everybody's getting what they need in terms of their education. Right. Um, that's why my alma mater, SMU, has never resurfaced. <laughs> well, they're they're struggling right. around. The, but the administration wouldn't support football. Wouldn't. Yeah provide the academic support to 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 really 
throw their weight behind football. They're still embarrassed about the death penalty from back in 87 when I was there. Right, right, So, you know, I think Texas gets it from that standpoint. Now you got Del Conte coming in here, upgrading all the facilities. Right. You're going to have that part of it so that when kids walk in, it's like, oh, wow, okay. The first day of my class every fall, I teach a uh, class called Race in the Age of Trump. That's another discussion. But anyway, I have about 500 kids in the class. White kids from Westlake, black, black kids from, from Houston, Latino kids from the Valley. It's just a mix, social, economic, race, gender, all of that. And I asked them, I said, how many of you applied to an Ivy League school? 80% of the hands go up. 80% go up. How many of y'all got into an Ivy League school? About half of the hands stay up. And I said, why didn't you go? And they say it was too expensive. So that is where UT is at ac- academically. And that stuff flows. I mean, that's the culture of the campus now. I mean, I, I, was, I went to a game last year. I saw some students. They were walking away from the stadium. I think they were going to study or something like that. You know what I'm saying? But it's just, it's just a different place. And I, I, I tell a lot of Texas exes, if you applied to UT right now, you probably couldn't get in. You know, and it kind of, and it kind of blows them away. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's why we love Dr. Hey, Moore. I, I, know I, could, I know I couldn't get in. <laughs> keeping it real, baby. Keeping it real. Hey, you know, keeping it real. That's what Texas is about, man. Just keeping it real. You know, uh, what's, what is, what's that thing? Don't tread. What's that thing they have in the back of the, those, those pickup don't, trucks? Don't tread on me. No, 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 that, no. There's another oh. one. Come and get it or something like that. Oh, right? Yeah, come and get it. <laughs> yeah, come and get it. Come and get it. Well, we had Sam Acho on last week. Uh-huh. He's telling me about this book he's finishing up called, you know, uh, Keeping It Real in a World of Fakes. Mm, that's right. That's right. Like, that's, that's a right. great title for the book. You know, no, I just, Chip, I just love Honest Conversation. One last story before we go, man. I was at my daughter's uh, cheer competition in San Antonio about five years ago. All right. And one of the parents, I guess he knew I worked at UT. When I told when I tell people what I do is there's always a pause there, you know, because when people hear the word diversity, a whole lot of things go in their mind, all right? So he said, uh, he said, well, uh, uh, Leonard, man, uh, can I ask you a question? He's like, well, I don't want to be offensive. And when people say that, they're about to be offensive, but I didn't mind. <laughs> he said, well, Leonard, man, uh, you know, my daughter's at, uh, she's at Westlake or Lake Travis, and, you know, she's um, uh, toward the top of her class, not the top in her class. She's not top 10%, great test scores. And he said, you know, if my daughter was at one of those inner city schools, she would be valedictorian. All right. And I said, with all due respect, if your daughter was at an inner city school, her whole life would be different. You know what I mean? And you know what he said, Chip? He said, Leonard, I never thought about it that way. You know what I'm saying? And so I just like being in Texas, man. We can have these conversations and I don't drink any. I drink non-alcoholic beer, but we can have these conversations and go and I'll get me a non-alcoholic beer. You go get a beer or something like that. But thank (laughs) you for the opportunity, man. (laughs) Hey, Dr. Moore, you're the best. And uh, thank you, Chip. We'll do it again soon. All right, brother. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. The flagship podcast rolls on. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Great stuff from Dr. Leonard Moore. Uh, Chip, you know, really good job bringing him on. That was Chip's call to bring him on to the podcast this week, and you couldn't have picked a better guest. Well, he's, you can tell he's a college football fan. Yes. In addition to being a, a well-esteemed uh, PhD and, and three-time author and vice president at the University of Texas, you can tell he likes some, some college football, and it's fun. it's fun to talk sports with Leonard Moore. But it was also, you know, very impactful to hear him uh, talk about how I, I know myself personally have been talking to my white brothers and sisters a lot this week because there, there's, I mean, this is like a Rodney King type of awakening. It shouldn't be happening again, but it is. And, you know, I, you, as, a, as a white man, uh, as Tom Herman said this week, I get pulled over. I'm worried about how much the ticket is. Yeah. As a black man getting pulled over in America, you're hoping – you don't get pulled out of your car. You're hoping you don't end up on the ground and you hope you don't end up going to jail or dead. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, I just think it's an important conversation this week and, and, and ongoing and let's really come together and get serious about putting some pressure on our city leaders to uh, do their best. In my opinion, to, to get the um, officers who have shown a tendency towards uh, excessive force, get them off the streets and onto a desk job. And, and this needs to be every police chief, police department in the country doing this, not just Minneapolis, which has, you know, five digit or four digit um, complaints against it. And, you know, the University of Minnesota is disassociating itself from the Minneapolis Police Department. I mean, they've, they've had problems. So, Right. That can't happen. That cannot happen again, because as we mentioned before, the, the insidious actions of one man led to all the looting and, and all the chaos over the weekend. And if we can get that off the streets before, and, and I would think all the officers who are doing a great job, and that's the majority, yeah. um, would want that. They'd okay. want, because they all know, it's like the players they, in the locker room, you know, who's that sketchy guy and all the police officers know who the five or six guys are that they don't want to ride with if they're going into a, into a trouble spot. So, you know, that just, I know the police unions are tough and all that, but you can, you can reassign officers. Right. You can, you can, you can paperwork them right out of the, out of the force. But right. uh, Taylor, we'll, uh, we'll lighten it up a little bit. I mean, people come to this podcast just for the love it or leave it segment. They go scrambling to iTunes to give us a five-star rating and regale us with praise and golden tickets to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory (laughs) because (laughs) of love it or leave it. So let's get to it. We need like game show music for this. I know, right? 
Da, da, da. Uh, you don't want me to sing, so just don't do that. <laughs> um, I'll get Maggie right. to play the piano or something. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Have some music tracks going. All right, Chip. So uh, let's start off with something that we you know, briefly discussed in the open, which is um, Andrew Jones was named the 2020 Big 12 Sportsperson of the Year for Men's Athletics over guys like Oklahoma's C.D. Lamb, Jalen Hurts, and then Baylor's James Lynch. Love it or leave it, Jones was most deserving of this award. Absolutely, because it's not just that he overcame cancer. As I said, he averaged 17 points per game in that five-game winning streak that catapulted Texas back into NCAA tournament consideration. I mean, this guy's a big-time player. He was a five-star recruit. Mm -hmm. You throw in the fact that he also um, you know, went away from – real life for a year to battle cancer at MD Anderson. And you, you combine all that. Look, CD lamb going to be a Dallas cowboy going to make a bunch of money. He's got two phones. His girlfriend reached for the wrong phone on draft night. He's going to have girlfriends probably. Well, anyway, um, no. <laughs> so, you know, same thing with, with uh, our man, James Lynch and, and uh, Jalen hurts. Look, they're all, they'll, they'll, they'll be okay in the, in the world of football this time, it, it belongs to, to Andrew Jones. Very deserving. I love this. Yes, I agree. I love this. Uh, you know, he may not have started every single game, but he did play in all 31 games in the 2019, 2020 season. And he came through when it mattered most. I mean, the definition of the warriors, the guys that you want on your team are the ones that you can rely on when everything is on the line and everything was on the line for Texas basketball and Andrew Jones continue to just step up. So I love this too. Now, uh, this is kind of a brief statement, but Chip, love it or leave it, Shane Bouchelle is on the cover of Dave Campbell, Texas Football Magazine. You know what? Sam Ellinger was on it last year. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I thought it was very deserving. Remember, he came off the 10-win season, the win over Georgia, the we're back win over Georgia. But um, Shane Bouchelle's coming off a record year at SMU, right? Double double digit wins for SMU under Sonny Dykes and Shane Bouchelle. I mean, we knew, and I've said, I've told this story a million times. Cliff Kingsbury told me point blank. Uh, well, I said, Cliff, you can't keep quarterbacks on campus. Cause this is when he was losing, you know, Davis Webb, Baker Mayfield, um, you name it. Uh, Jared Stidham was committed to tack and took off. So uh, I said, you can't keep great quarterbacks on campus and Texas can't find any. <laughs> uh, this was during the Charlie strong era, obviously. Um, and, and the lead up to it, but Cliff said, Oh no, they got one. Now I was the first one to offer Shane Bouchelle. Yep. I mean, Cliff thinks, and we now see it, the, the decision-making, the accuracy and the demeanor, the cool, calm demeanor, Shane Bouchelle's a great story. And I think it's really cool that Sam Ellinger and Shane are still very close. Yeah. Um, Sam helped him with his GoFundMe to help um, provide uh, financial relief to COVID-19. Um, you know, those affected by COVID-19 and, and, and Sam raised, you know, well over a hundred thousand with his Shane stopped his at 50,000, but Hey, <laughs> that's great. And, and, and Shane's, madly in love with a Texas palm dancer. So, yeah, you know, 
life is good for Shane Bouchelle. The quarterback's supposed to get the cheerleader, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah they are supposed to, for sure. I mean, I, I love this, that Shane is getting his opportunity because Shane was always such a good, um, you know, player on the field, but also a good person away from the field. You know, he never once quit on the team when Sam in uh, during the 2018 season, when Sam, you know, won the starting job. I mean, remember the transfer portal was open. Shane Bouchelle very well could have went into the transfer portal right. season and really would have hurt, you know, Texas not having that experience backup. So I, I love that. I am a little surprised though. I kind of thought that, um, you know, that they may go with picking Dave Aranda since, you know, the new Baylor coach. Um, I kind of thought that that may be a direction that they would go just because when Tom Herman was hired, he was the featured um, cover of, when was that 2017 I guess and then when Jimbo Fisher was hired he was featured too so I was kind of thinking maybe it would be Dave Aranda but I do think that this is a great honor for Shane for sure yeah yeah and Shane's got such a great family yeah. everyone knows his his dad Steve is um you know longtime Texas Ranger mm -hmm. uh, baseball player and then coach so yeah, yeah. um happy for Shane Bouchelle baby yep good for him and All right, Chip. You Mustangs, you know. Mustangs. <laughs> oh yeah, pony. Well, you're biased. How, why would I even ask? I can't even think. I or realize I asked you that. I forgot about that. <laughs> Come on, I'm, I'm. I can be objective when it comes to great quarterback play, even if it happens to be at my alma mater. <laughs> and we've had nothing to cheer for for 25 years, 30 years until yeah. Shane Bouchelle rolled up. I can be objective. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you did break the story, right? <laughs> The death oh penalty. Okay, We're good. into Mac Brown. Quick, quick sidebar. <laughs> Mac Brown, who loves me, loves me, used to tell Taylor can attest to this because Emmanuel Acho basically confirmed it to us. Yeah. Mac Brown used to tell his players, you don't want to talk to Chip Brown because he's the reason SMU got the death penalty. Yes, a student okay, at was, SMU is the reason. <laughs> I was a sophomore at SMU just trying to get a date and get my homework done when SMU got smashed with uh, all those NCAA sanctions. Uh, that was Dale Hansen of WFAA breaking that story. Not this guy. Hey, anyway, take, take credit. Be like, yep, I was a sophomore in college and somehow I broke one of the biggest stories in the history of college football. <laughs> Ridiculous. Oh, but crazy. hey, Mac is happy. Everything's going good. So. Yeah. you know we're all good <laughs> all right chick chip so uh last week or actually i guess it was over the weekend texas landed a commitment from pro kick punter isaac pearson which is the third punter from the australian pro kick pipeline uh, with michael dixon being the first ryan buschewski second and now isaac pearson now uh we've seen some of these guys when they've come to texas they've had a little bit of a struggle their first year just getting used to playing American football since it's a lot different than um you know Australian football so love it or leave it the first year woes are worth the payoff of recruiting pro kick punters listen Michael Dixon the best punter I've covered better than Shane Leckler and Shane Leckler was as good as it gets um Shane Leckler is the Phil Dawson Mm -hmm. of punters in the NFL. I think he played 17, 18 years. Maybe he's still playing. I don't know. He was with the Texans, then the Raiders. Anyway, Leckler was at A&M. He was unbelievable. Dixon could do more. 
yeah. with the ball, like spin it like a lob wedge or hit a three iron. I mean, he, he had so many different kinds of kicks and punts and seemed like every ball ended up in the, you know, inside the five. So if Ryan Buchevsky can take that, who's Dixon's cousin, if he can take that next step this year and he, he showed uh, signs of life mm-hmm. last year, improvement. And, and then you bring in uh, Isaac uh, Pearson, let him work through it. Cause here's the thing, Taylor, remember when Michael Dixon in his first practice shanked a punt so bad, it went dead left over red river into the LBJ parking lot from the Denius fields yeah. practice fields. And he said, look, mate, I haven't had 11 blokes running at me. <laughs> I'm getting used to this. So it's going to take a minute. And it was rough. Remember? Charlie called the Red River. Was that? Well, didn't Charlie call him Red River? Wasn't that his nickname? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he he's either like, going to kick it over the Red River or kick it on to Red River. <laughs> and I remember Sean Adams, who, God bless him, was my co-host on uh, the radio at that time was like, is that that Australian punter? And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, because that, that was after we watched the ball f- sail over our heads, over four lanes of traffic yeah. into the LBJ parking lot. Yeah. So, and now look at Michael Dixon. Oh, yeah. Pro bowler. Yeah. Yes, I'm loving this. Yeah. It's worth, it's worth the early struggles uh, to keep recruiting these Aussie punters. Yeah, there's no reason why not to at this point. You know, I mean, Michael Dixon – he was the MVP of a freaking bowl game. And literally it was no question. Like nobody, if you watched that game, not a single person questioned who was the MVP of that game it was a punter. I mean, yeah. come on. He was fifth round draft pick. Like how often are punters drafted that, you know, like usually some of them are, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't like, you know, categorize them all, but you know, there are few and far between that make it in the seven rounds of the NFL draft. And he was picked in the fifth round, but yeah, there's no reason not to. If there's even a slight chance that any of these guys can turn out to being a Michael Dixon, then it's worth it. Because, Chip, let's be honest, if Texas didn't have Michael Dixon in 2017, there's, I mean, he set up that team so well, not just from his clutch kicks, but pinning, I mean, he forced opposing offenses more times than not to start the drive and have to basically, you know, go 95 yards down the field. Right. You can and have they, a mediocre defense and still be okay with that. Right. And you call conservative offense coming off the goal line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've said Puna Ford and Michael Dixon got Todd Orlando that raise. Oh, for sure. To a million seven. That $600,000 raise that Texas is still paying him or was. Now he's um, USC. out at USC. Mm-hmm. Todd Orlando. Yep. USC there. All right. We got one more. One more. All right, Chip. Matthew McConaughey made comments saying his goal for the Longhorns new basketball arena is to make it a venue every musician wants to perform in and an arena every opposing team doesn't want to play in. Love it or leave it, Texas having an Academy Award winner as an investor in the basketball arena is the coolest thing in college athletics. Not only an Academy Award winner, Taylor, but Wooderson. (laughs) Wooderson they got Wooderson Wooderson is helping to invest in this basketball arena and and calls himself the minister of culture the same guy who said 
in Dazed and Confused High School Girls. They keep getting younger and I just stay the same. Or no, I keep getting older and they just stay the same age. Sorry. Oh my gosh, I butchered it. it. Way to butcher it. I'm fired. I'm sorry, McConaughey. I'm sorry, Mock. Oh, man. I keep getting older, but they stay the same age. Oh my gosh. It's the best. The best. And that haircut. Oh my gosh. But anyway, now look at Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, it's, it's definitely cool. I don't know if it's the coolest thing in college athletics, uh, personally, I love um, at the University of of Iowa football games when they all turn and wave to the the, ch- children's, the hospital. children's hospital. I think that's the coolest thing. But this is a close second, I'd say. Good call, good call, Taylor Estes, right there. <laughs> all right, well, listen, folks. We hope this was uh, a lot of fun, and we hope the time passed a whole lot faster than the COVID nineteen pandemic. Yeah, you know what I mean. We're trying to help you get through. You're helping us get through. Don't forget to subscribe to the flagship podcast and get over and give us a five-star rating at, uh, at iTunes. And of course, uh, welcome to all the new members at Horns 24-7. And uh, if you're not an annual member there, what, what are you waiting for? Let's go. You're going to have access to all the team sites on the 24-7 Sports Network. And we got great analysts. We got the best insiders anywhere. So um, get all in with an annual membership to Horns 24-7. Thanks, big thanks to Dr. Leonard Moore. Hope everyone um, really listened in to what Dr. Moore had to say. He's one of the most respected voices on the UT campus, um, in the tower, and among certainly all the student athletes that you cheer for uh, on these fields and courts on the 40 acres. So big thanks to Dr. Leonard Moore. And my big thanks to the one and only Taylor Estes, um, she is just the right amount of OCD. <laughs> All she does is solve problems. I am a caveman. So I need all the help I can get. And, uh, and we appreciate Taylor to no end. And we appreciate you for listening uh, to the flagship podcast. Let's do it again next week. Until then, be safe and keep the faith.